Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. We are recommended by nine out of 10 veterinary technicians because the 10th veterinary technician was too busy to vote. Uh, special <laughs> shout out today to our caffeinators in England. Um, thank you very much for tuning in and, and everybody at home in the U.S. and, and abroad. Thank you don't you have an English much. phrase to say for them? I don't. Well, I, A, I don't have really, you know, the English accent, but I, I figured... <laughs> Saying it in in English was well, was appropriate. When we did when we did Germany, you did a you did I, I, well. That's because I took at least a few years of German in, in high school and college, and and I I, I mean I, I would I, argue I, that you've taken more English than you did German. I, I said hello in English. <laughs> I said hello to our caffeinators in England. Thank you for tuning in. Um, but nevertheless, all of our caffeinators here at, at at home in the U.S. and abroad, thank you so much for your support. Um, to our Patreon, special shout out to all of you guys. We really, really appreciate it. Um, and continuing to download our episodes and subscribe to all of our channels. If you're new here, head over to vettechcafe.com. All of the info about Dave and I is is there and why we do this podcast. Dave, we probably need to update all that good stuff again. Yeah, probably. Um, and... and you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. We have a YouTube channel um, where we upload the video of our taproom episodes. So definitely head over there, like, hit, smash the like button, the subscribe button, leave us a comment or, or what have you. We really, really appreciate it. Dave, I know we just talked yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but what's on your mind today? <laughs> well, to the listeners, it's been two weeks. Yeah, right. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> um, not a whole lot different going on today. Uh a little colder today. We had uh, that "quote unquote" wintry mix that was coming mm-hmm. here. Um, I'm, I I secretly stalk. I, I'm not the, the weather nerd you are, but I, I secretly stalk uh, New England to see what's going on up there, mm-hmm. to see what I'm missing out, seeing why I moved down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're getting snow right now, so I'm yeah. I'm happy that I moved down here um, and nice. not in the middle of snow right now. <laughs> nice, nice. Have you guys I been also, out there? Uh, Perfect we're good. weather. I, uh, yeah, I also am not mm-hmm. in the middle of snow. I'm looking up at my weather station. It's 76 degrees here on my patio. Bright sunshine. We're supposed to get some rain this weekend. I'm super excited about. But otherwise, it's a it's a well for some people a lovely January day. I'd rather be in the snow in New England, but that's just me. So we, we live in know. we live in the uh, we should flip. We do. We should yeah. flip. We we yeah. should just do house swaps periodically. House swap. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. I love it. I love it. We'll have to. Does work that mean on I that. have to? Does that mean I have to care for a toddler? No, no, no. She'd come with oh, us. Oh, oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, are you kidding? She'd love the the chickens and the donkeys and the horses right. and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have She'd your have people call my cats. people? We'll set it up. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll work that out in Arizona. Um, we got another great episode today. So, caffeinators, um, our most recent episode was a vet tech student, and today we actually have another one. So, um, we've talked about you know we talked about vet tech education 
many different ways from many different angles on this podcast, and we will continue to do so. And we've long said we would love for more veterinary technician students who are actively in a program um, to come talk to us and, and talk about their experiences, why they got into vet med, how they're finding the programs, all of that stuff. And and we actually had two students reach out to us within like a day of each other. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we got back to them at the same time. They got back to us at the same time. So we're recording on back to back. So, uh, which I think is, is actually a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So today we have Ralia Cortinas uh, coming by the Vet Tech Cafe. And I'm going to read her entire bio because normally when we get somebody's bio, it's a lot of times it's like a CV or a resume and they have where they've worked and how long they've been there, or they have, you know, a little bit of information about them, but this is perhaps truly the best bio I've ever read. So I'm yeah, going to read I, the I have entire some questions thing. about some of the things. In yeah, here this that... is, <laughs> I, I think by the end of this, you're going to see where we're going to go with this interview, but I, I just, I, I have to read you guys this whole thing. So Ralia Cortinas is like a prairie dog. She can be found anywhere and everywhere in Lubbock, Texas, and in many groups. Sometimes she is deep in the BAR borough of Cafe J's, cracking jokes about dog buttholes. The most awkward part of her job, though, is getting a temp on her patients. She is running around the dog town, helping in Lubbock Community Theater, the Edge Theater, Laugh Hub City Comedy, and West Texas Improv Comedy. She is also involved in the start of a small comedy film studio called Abducted Prairie Dog Studio and a true crime podcast, Dave, staring yeah. into the face of evil. I've when it's time it to up. Yeah. When it's time <laughs> to buckle down at her guard post nine to five, she can be found screaming loose dog or performing chest compressions to staying alive, WAP, Dancing Queen, or Achy Breaky Heart at Live Oak Animal Hospital. While this animal hospital is not her first rodeo, she has loved the opportunity and range of cases in this hospital. They really should be labeled as an all-in-one general practice emergency clinic. After almost five years of experience in three clinics, it's crazy to think that she is not certified. Yep, this prairie dog is actually an on-the-job trained vet assistant gopher. To the public eye, it's easy to get the two confused, but once you analyze our tail ends, we are different. This gopher started off as a pre-vet student at Texas Tech University, where she actually asked professors why there was not a program to help students become certified veterinary technicians. The backlash was that it was not necessary and that you could get a job as a vet tech by just going to a clinic. While she did decide to start a program with Penn Foster on the side while getting her bachelor's, she ended up getting her first veterinary quote-unquote technician job from volunteering at a local spay and neuter clinic. After dropping Penn Foster, she found a more interactive program through Purdue University, which helps her stay more focused and productive by doing a class or two per semester. This helps her juggle the committees, work hours, side hustles, school and life while still working toward a license. It may be true for her state that licensing is not required for her position, but Ralia would like to think to move or excuse me, would like to move one day to a state that provides title protection and uh, does require licensing. She also believes in a future where licensing provides title protection and creates a base for wage increase in our field. However, Texas doesn't even require a license to buy a ring-tailed lemur or a gun, so she wonders when it will push licensing for veterinary technicians. Ralia Cortinas, I cannot love that bio yeah, enough. No kidding. Thank you so much for, for reaching out to us and coming by the Vet Tech Cafe. What can we get you for a cup of coffee or caffeinated beverage to start here? Ooh, I'm a Dutch Bros girl. I love I love the Pitch Perfect because if it has caramel and chocolate with it, it's a go. 
Okay. Uh, okay. Right. <laughs> Dave, is, is Dutch Brothers the one that was in Arizona that was all over the place when we were I there think last so, year? Yeah. Or did yeah. we go there while we were in Texas when we met in Austin? Oh, that's that's possible. I, don't I can't remember. remember. I can't they remember. They are expanding. Yeah, I, I just remember yeah. like we were you and I were somewhere because yeah. I hadn't seen them outside of you and, and we were like, Wow, Dutch Brothers is everywhere. That must be a thing. Mm-hmm. Wherever it was. Given so, that she's from Texas, I'm gonna guess yeah, it's, maybe, it's maybe the Austin, it was Austin. The Austin yeah, one. Yeah. Well, uh, Raleigh, if you don't mind, uh, we always kind of start off having guests take us through our career paths. Um, as I mentioned in your bio there, you've been in the field a few years, kind of done the on-the-job thing, working through the credentialing process now. So kind of talk to us about how you got started, what you've been doing along the way, and where you're at now. Well, like all things, it started when I was a baby. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I grew up on a farm. Uh, my dad wanted to be an agricultural teacher, and then our whole family kind of got into the hog industry for a little while. Oh, wow. Realized that wasn't for us, and then we ended up <laughs> raising uh, beef masters, which my currently with my family, it's like my dad grows the hay, my uncle raises the beef masters, and then my grandpa oversees everything because he's the grandfather. So yeah, that's yeah. what they do. Um, so that's where it all started. And ironically, my family really didn't push working with animals. Um, my grandma wanted me to be a lawyer or a politician or something else with one of those big titles. And I was like, I think I want to be a veterinarian. And she was like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> politician, good lawyer, advice, one grandma. of those. Good advice, yeah, good advice. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I grew up, I got into high school, and then I ended up getting into FFA because I took some classes with agriculture and everything. I ended up building tables, and I was like, you know what? I want to raise goats. <laughs> and my <laughs> uncle was like, "You, we have beef masters in our family. We have cattle everywhere, and you want to raise goats? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to raise. I want to raise goats. <laughs> so there I was for like two or three years um, learning how to raise goats, which was not it, it was definitely a learning experience every time I turned my back I had to make sure that I wasn't about to get like butt kicked like and then just be <laughs> launched forward in front of everybody in like FFA um but I really enjoyed it one of my goats actually ended up getting this big like abscess on the cheek and Ooh. I yeah we had like our ag teacher come out we had um so I'm from the Rio Grande Valley and there's not a, like I guess like everywhere else there's not a lot a lot of large animal veterinarians. So our large animal veterinarian was about twenty to thirty minutes away. They had to actually you had to schedule in advance for them to go make a house call, and they would travel to our small town. They try to knock out as many large animal appointments as they could. And so they would go to our house. They kind of taught us. They were like, "Hey, okay, this is what the treatment's going to be. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to help your goat." And that was the first time I ever had to actually do some sort of a treatment with an animal. And I ended up really liking it. Like it was, it was tedious work, right? Cause you have to, you have to go every day. You have to do something. You have to treat that animal, but I ended up liking it a lot. And then the next and, year. And, and you were in high school at this point. Mm-hmm, I was in okay, high school. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, one of my goats, I have no idea how, my grandfather's the one that saw it happen, managed to jump off, like they did a parkour off the wall and jumped so high that they hit the ceiling and then landed oh. down on its shoulder. 
And then the next thing you know, there I was for three months doing like therapy work with my with my other goat. And I'm like, great. So all of my goats are just prone to getting some, yeah. something going on that the vet has to come out and be like, all right, here's what you're going to do for this period of time. And this is how we're going to help uh, your goat heal. And so being putting in the time with these goats and then just sometimes every goat has their own attitude and having to work with them and be like, all right, don't you start limping. I know that you've been, you're able to walk on your foot. Come on, we're going to do this physical therapy. Um, doing that with the goats made me realize, you know what, I want, I want to do something like this. And so the first thing that a lot of people push um, is about becoming like looking into like the veterinarian aspect and looking into becoming a veterinarian. So our FFA uh, group did not have a competing veterinary technician team. And I reached out to my ag teacher and I was, hey, like, hey, Mr. Garcia, like, why don't we have a competing veterinary technician team? Like every other school and their FFA groups, they're like, yeah, like there's, there's meat judging, there's wool judging, there's livestock judging, but why is there not a competing veterinary technician team? And so that year, it was my senior year, um, we ended up doing a competing for the first time in doing a veterinary technician program. I'll admit we didn't place high, but we went <laughs> hey, out there. <laughs> yeah, you went out there and did it. Yeah, yeah. It was the first for our high school to do that. And then after that, they had at least three people on every team every year after they were nice. studying. Yeah. It's all and it takes so it, sometimes is just one yeah. person to ask the question. Yeah, it's like, well, why don't we do it? Like, why yeah, don't we just? Yeah, yeah. So that's where that's where that started, and then from there, um, I ended up going to Texas Tech University because I wanted to get far away from home. It was like ten <laughs> hours away, and I was like, okay, well, what do I do? And originally, I was in a zoology program, but I realized I'm not much of a bug person. And I could not do bugs. Okay, I could not be like these biology TAs that were wearing ring-tailed leap. Uh, not sorry, um, <laughs> not ring-tailed lemurs. Uh, Madagascar hissing cockroaches. Yeah, yeah. They would wear them like rings around like the class, and I'm like, I can't do that. No, no. that's not me. No. I'm not a bug person. I this is not what I signed up for. And so I switched over to animal science pre-vet. Um, and that's that's kind of where I was for four years and just learning what I could and interacting. And we were doing things like um, we had a uh, uh, what's it called? A pre-vet society club. And so we got mm -hmm. to learn how to draw blood on horses, how to give medications and things like that. There is actually a class through Texas Tech University called Clinical Skills that is basically you're learning everything that a veterinary technician would need to know for their job. but when I would like ask my professors, like, hey, like, I don't know if I want to go to vet school, but I really like what I'm learning. And I like the veterinary field. Like, why isn't there anything to help people become certified veterinary technicians? And they were like, well, it, it's just not necessary. Like, <laughs> you could just go to any vet clinic, just work there or whatever, and then you'll gain your experience that you need. And it was hard because at that time I was already looking into Penn Foster and I, I really wanted to become certified in some way. Like I wanted that title and it's, it's hard to, to like agree, but disagree because at the same time, the way that here in Texas, the way I got my first quote unquote veterinary technician job, really on the job trained veterinary assistant 
um, is I volunteered at a low cost bay and neuter. And after two weeks of volunteering there, always being like, hey, like, what do you need? How can I help? What is this? What is that? Then eventually they ended up hiring me on on their team. And I worked, I started off in vaccine rooms and then I worked my way up into surgery. But it, it was still like, man, it, it it's hard because once you're there and you've been there for like a year or two years, then you start uh, not saying that I got mad with new people, but it was really hard to train new people when they're like, they don't even know how to get a temp on a dog. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh gosh, we have to have this conversation. <laughs> and <laughs> yep. yep. And so I started realizing that I really wish that there was something um, that would like kind of put that baseline of like knowledge for everybody that was coming into this field, because we're doing everything from like, poking dogs to give vaccines to actually monitoring for surgery. And I think having a baseline for everybody that comes in should be a necessary and it shouldn't be just people coming off the street. I mean, I like to think that I'm lucky in a sense that I was already on track for my pre-veterinary science degree. Um, So I had knowledge and background and I knew about vaccines and I knew the book stuff of things. Um, And then when I got into the clinic, that's when I learned the like actual skills portion of everything. Um, And that's where that's where I'm like, I really wish we had licensing in Texas. I really wish that we didn't have just people coming off off the street and then just learning from the get go. Because I I'll admit I it's really hard to like be like, oh okay like, well, what do you know? I remember training somebody one time and they were um, a bartender before that and they were just giving veterinary medicine a try yeah yeah and it's like okay yeah. all right yeah. square one here we go yeah it, it's tough because you know for some of those people like like i think for dave and i and, and we were just talking about this with our previous student too like for some people you you get into a good clinic where you you learn a lot of stuff you're taught a lot of good stuff you're actually taught a lot of the why you're taught how to do how to do things and sometimes in a good way and so sometimes you can really use that as a springboard to move forward. And some people, they get into one clinic and all they do is scrub walls and doors and they don't actually learn anything. They don't, yeah. they're not taught why anything works or how anything works or really how to do anything. And, and so like maybe they've worked at a hospital for three years, but they go to get another job and it's like, they don't know how to take a temperature on a dog. Like, you right. know, it's, it's, you're, you're such a product of your raising in that scenario. And, and like you said, that's why, like, I think it's so rare in veterinary medicine for somebody to, to not have anything to do with the field and go through school and then go out and get a job. It's, it's always the reverse, but mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like there needs to be a better way to set a baseline and, and, I don't, I don't have those answers. I, I want, I wonder if, if one of the, and this is opening up a big old can of worms. It's going to have a lot of uh, backlash. <laughs> to open it, the but can, I, do it. Let, let's, let's open the can. What if a requirement to get into tech school was you had to have two years working in a hospital? Like you've been oh. exposed to medicine. You've been exposed to, you know, you're not monitoring anesthesia. You're not doing yeah. blood draws. You're not helping with uh, surgery, but you're, you're in the environment, you're understanding what's going on. Um, is that, is that something that's even possible? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, hmm. I, I feel like most most of the time, I mean, Dave, you taught an AVMA school, so correct me if I'm wrong. I only ever did alternate route or taught alternate route. Those were always people that were already in the field for a period of time. No, um, I, I had kids that were, there, there were a group of, there's probably five or six kids in, in some of my classes that were fresh out of high school. Like, Yeah, yeah. So, oh. uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, but I, again, I think it, it goes back to that, like, depends on what hospital they're in because in some yeah. places they're just going to be free labor to or mm-hmm. really cheap labor to just clean and scrub and do whatever but they're not really like yeah they'll be in the environment but i don't really know how much they'll soak up so to speak right. i don't know right. it, it's it's tough or or if you say like hey if you want to apply to to a tech school then this tech school has a network of hospitals that they have vetted that yeah. will actually show them around or, or like actually teach them some things. Like and a you pre- are there. externship? Yeah, yeah kind of like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then like, a, but then you're there for a period of time and then you maybe can start classes or, or well, I don't know. Let's, I don't let's know. think about the, yeah. the, the nursing, the, the human nursing part of that. They don't, they don't have a requirement like that. You can no. just, you can go to nursing school right out of high, out of high school and yeah. become a nurse. Yeah. So is yeah. that the solution? I don't know. It's just something. Yeah. Popped yeah. ahead. And correct me if I'm wrong. There, there is a tech association in because if the are you guys see is it CVT in Texas or is it LVT? I think it's LVT, isn't it? I think it's LVT. Yeah. Um, we do have a couple of licensed technicians that I've run into. Um, two that work at the current hospital that I work at, and then I've met two more in the past at other mm-hmm. clinics. Um, so I think it's LVT. Yeah. Because yeah. if it was CVT, it would be a, a tech association that is is yeah. handing out those certifications. So that would be a way to like promote it. But if it's LVT, it's done by the medical board in some in in, in some fashion. I believe yeah. that's yeah. what okay. has to happen. Something if you're, like if that. you're licensed. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Texas maybe within the last two or three, maybe even four years, I think they just switched, perhaps from CVT to LVT. Oh, okay. I well, think when I was I... there, what two years ago? When when I was doing recovery certifications in Austin, that they were LVTs at the yeah, time. Yeah, so. I, I think I think that was a pretty recent change, probably not long before you went yeah. there. I think I remember that. I could be wrong, but yeah. I thought well, so. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole gone. other can of worms. Yeah, it's a whole yeah. other can of worms. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's get back to let's get to back to why we had you on on the program. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we always ask our guests, and usually there our guests are already licensed or credential technicians, but it's different asking someone that's just going through the program. And, and you're a little bit different than our, our previous guests where you've got a little bit of a different experience and different pathway. So how do you view the veterinary profession, the technician profession right now? Ooh, um, kind of to tie on to what was previously mentioned and to tie into this question, I think the veterinary profession as a whole, people need to actually join into it and to kind of get like a warning of how it is. Um, and what I mean by that is because it not every day is puppies and kitties. And we know that, right? Like every day you might have a puppy and kitty room. And then the next room is like, oh, yep, this is going to be a splenectomy. Um, and you're having these like hard conversations. Mm-hmm. And so I think it does help for people to either do FFA, do the like internships, like or go volunteer at a clinic and just do like laundry or something, but you're in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of learning of what are the things that you might encounter in the veterinary field um, before you go into getting your veterinary technician license. But then again, I think that way too with our veterinarians, because I do know a couple of veterinarians that somehow um, <laughs> they, mm-hmm. uh, 
never worked in a vet clinic before. They were actually some other major before, but they were able to get into vet school. They got became veterinarians and then they came out of it, realized that it was something that they actually didn't want to be a part of, that it wasn't what they were thinking it was. And so veterinary medicine, I think is a blessing in itself, but it has definitely, it's like warning signs. And I think people need to be able to know like what those warning signs are and be able to um, and I, I think that also goes into like better help and that goes into like therapy mm-hmm, and that yeah. goes into like being aware of what are some of the red flags of it. And if there are red flags of it, how would you handle it and pre-handling it? So that's kind of like to tie in both. Uh, yeah. previous and, it, questions. and it's hard to it's hard to like do that because we have like this veterinarian shortage. We've got a vet tech vet tech shortage like nationwide country or, or uh, globally. and. <laughs> Everyone always asks, like, would you recommend this job to 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 a friend of yours or, or a child of yours? And almost everyone would say, no, we would never do this. We would never recommend this to somebody else. But we we can't like across the board say no, no, no one should do this because then the the profession dies. And there are good things about the profession. There, I mean, Jeff and I have been in the field for twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight, whatever it is, many years. Um, in, in there are good things in this profession that has kept us here. Uh, and we've had this discussion before. And for the most part, it's the people we work with that have kept us in this profession. And that kind of goes to some of the things that I that I always say is that you've got to be good to the people that you're working with because otherwise they're going to be gone. And then you're going to have to do everything by yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, it's really hard to to give those red flags and yet still expect people to come into the profession. But you're right. There definitely needs to be some type of warning of these are the things that we're going to deal with uh, on a day-to-day basis. And it's not all puppies and kittens. And the days we get puppies and kittens, those are great days. Those are those are fun days. You take your pictures, post it on social media. And that's the thing that, that people see. And, and people that aren't in the profession say, oh, I want that. I want to, I want to have a puppy and kitten day and not realize that they've got splenectomy and hard discussions and uh you know euthanasias and things like that so that that's that's a hard thing with the red flags is to yes people need to be aware of them but we also have to find ways to make to pull people back into this profession and and make them stay i do think that a lot of the uh like national geographic shows are helping people out because and even like so i don't know if you've watched lopez versus lopez but Mm -hmm. It's basically it's a playoff of George Lopez and his old show, but now it's them in like current context and current oh, okay, timeline. Yeah. And the daughter uh, in that show is a veterinary technician. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And ironically, my parents told me about it uh, because they were like, "Oh, wow! Now we understand like what kind of crazy clients you might go through." Um, I honestly wish that we could like she would like give an interview of like how she did her research for the show yeah. um, because I watched the show and I'm like, yep, that's how we are with clients. Oh, so, or that's so how it's clients fairly can be. accurate. Mm-hmm. Oh, because a lot of times the the the, the medical profession like <laughs> yeah. throughout throughout all of television and movies is is usually wildly inaccurate. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. And- yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's for good. Sure. It's good to see that there there's. There is some representation out there that is actually close, close to accurate from, from yeah. what I understand. For mm-hmm. sure. 
So I'm curious, and you kind of touched on a little bit, but I want to take a little bit deeper dive. So your your family history and your education background was all animal science, FFA, the beef masters, the whole bit. And so always around large animals. Uh, but what was it that finally brought you to small animal medicine? Because although I've never worked large animal, um, I, my understanding is small animal and large animal, like, the things they do and obviously the, the work that technicians do and all of that is very, 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 very different. So with your large animal exposure that you've had really your whole life, what kind of brought you to thinking small animal medicine might be where you want to be? Having to work with horses for four years. <laughs> <laughs> I act, Somebody actually was shocked the other day because at work I told them, oh yeah, like I have a certificate in business with equine science and all that. And they're like, wait, what? Like I was like, yeah, I used to work with horses. And they're like, what happened? Like why you don't work with horses anymore? Because I had to work with horses. <laughs> like <laughs> they, they tricked us though at Texas Tech. Our last class was our, um, like our full uh, class and training foals and breaking them and things like that. Of course, it was our very last class to get our certificate. So we could not drop out. We're like, this is it. This is the last class. I saw people get bucked off. I saw someone Oof. almost like she had to like cover her head because if not, then the horse would have got her on the head. Like, wow, there is a lot of you, you sign a contract at the beginning of the class saying you will not sue the university, even wow. in the event of death. So <laughs> dang. And, well, I, and, and so it, it large animal is, is one of those things where it, it's terrifying for some people. Cause I, I, we have horses on our farm and I, I have become uh, dangerously complacent because I, I know the horses and I'm comfortable around them. I know that if I got into a, a veterinary setting with a sick horse that I didn't know and didn't know me, I would probably get trampled, probably get trampled just because my, my comfort level with the horses that I've, I've known for seven years has has made me uh let my guard down i guess i guess a, a best way of saying but man large animal is it's not for it, the faint of heart it is not for the faint of heart i i totally agree with you on that yeah, <laughs> i agree is, yeah it is, it is not for me for sure i know some people that still do large animal and i am very proud for them that they're oh, able absolutely. to do that I do yeah too, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah me too and, and and i mean i worked with large animal at Tufts. Um, Tufts University, the vet school, is, is one of the few remaining vet schools where you cannot track small animal or large animal. You have to take it all. And so, I mean, I remember um, when I would work ER, I remember a couple of students that were, were going to be large animal that were deathly afraid of cats. Good. They didn't think they, they didn't even want to be in the same room as a cat or a bird. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> and, but like a horse or a cow, they were like, at right at home. And it, it, it's it, like, I, I mean, we absolutely need those people. And it's, it's like, the, especially those people that can do mixed and go from truly like cat or dog to exotic to a pig or a cow or like, and just go back and forth just blows my mind, blows mm -hmm. my mind. And we, we forgot to ask um, our, la our last guest, do you, are you getting a lot of, um, like, like when I taught at, at my program uh, a few years back, there was like maybe two or three classes that were large animal focused. Um, I remember when I, would I was teaching an emergency uh, course, um, they they wanted me to give a, a lecture on uh, equine emergencies. And I was like, well, I'm not the person to give that lecture. Um, so my partner, Robin, who was an equine vet, she came in and did that. But 
by and large, maybe two classes on large animal. Do you find that in your program that there is, is there a lot of large animal focus in, in there or is it mostly small? Animal? I feel like 70, like 70% of it is small animal and the 30% is large okay. animal. Okay. I do yeah. like that my anatomy and physiology course, they do, they do try to correspond in large animal at the same mm-hmm. time while we're learning about small animal. But I kind of took a like a look at the entire program for Purdue, and there's only a couple of large animal courses in there. Hmm, interesting. Um, and and I mean, it, part of it is because there are very few equine techs out there. Um, the the most of the 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 veterinarians that come to our farm when we have things that we need with the horses are don't have technicians. They don't use technicians. Um, so I think that's a big part of that. And it, I think that needs to change in some way, one way or another to, to utilize technicians. Yeah. Anyways, um, we are about halfway. So why don't we yeah. take our little break here? <laughs> Flying um, by. Yeah, we didn't even get through <laughs> through half of our questions, but we'll take our break <laughs> here right. and we'll be back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. Caffeinators at the Vet Tech Cafe, you know we like to focus on mental health. If you're struggling with depression, burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step. We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really liked that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash VetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, the cafe that focuses on all of the issues uh, all across the country. Uh, we're, we're, we're focusing on Texas, a place that I've been uh, a few times and, and really enjoy it, mostly for the weather. Um, <laughs> and, and Jeff and I were there for a little bit. And Jeff, I looked up um, uh, Dutch Brothers is was Arizona. Oh, um, it was Arizona. Okay. I, I looked at the, I, I Googled it in the break. And I was like, where are the locations? And probably 95% of them are, are in Arizona. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So hmm. we'll probably hit Dutch brothers yeah, we, again we, we, when we go we out could. to We will be there in a, in a few weeks. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, so Riley, we always like to ask our guests how they manage their own mental health. Um, I real I realize you, you do a lot. You have a lot of hobbies by the looks of it. Um, and, and Jeff, I was thinking that she would be perfect to, to introduce to Nicole Dickerson because she oh, seems to gosh. have a, very similar background, sim- yes. Uh, with with the theater, with the with the, the comedy, podcast, and, the, yeah. the comedy, yeah, all of it, all of um, it. Um, but how do you manage your own mental health, other than keeping track of all these hobbies that you have? <laughs> <laughs> with doing so many hobbies, I definitely have a planner. Um, I love going and buying planners out, but 
when it comes to my mental health, I definitely need to plan um, ahead of time. Like, okay, this is when I'm going to read a book or this is when mm-hmm. like, I'm going to just play a video game or something. Um, and my partner has actually been more of an advocate for me um, to make sure that I take care of my mental health. He's the one that's been like, what's what's the whole purpose of like, like breaking yourself to the point that you don't want to even live anymore. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that has like these hard conversations with me and always make sure that I put my hand, my, my mental health first. I actually took a break um, from vet med in kind of mid November, mid December um, for about a month. And thankfully I was able to have my partner to support me during that time mm-hmm. that I could take my break. Um, I am back. I am working as an on-the-job trained veterinary assistant at my hospital. Um, but I definitely had reached the point that I was like, I, because I kept putting it off too. I kept, I was like, you know what? Another week, another week, another week. Like, I, it's okay. Like, just, I just kept putting it off. I kept picking up shifts for people. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I was putting into it like overtime, like nothing. But because I was constantly there, I was basically living there was what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And I had to take a moment to realize that, you know what, I I need I need my time now. I need my mm-hmm. time now because I kept putting it off and putting it off. And I was like, when? When is my break going to happen? When is it going to happen? Because my partner had to take a mental health break himself a while back. And I worked two jobs during that time. And he had told me, like, it's okay. You can take your break. Take a week off. Do something. Take a break. And I kept putting it off. And the next thing you knew, it, it blew up. It blew up to the point that like, I, I was absolutely depressed. I was depressed. I was laying in bed. I was crying out of nowhere. And because I let it build to that point, I kept putting off my own mental health, thinking that it was fine. It was fine. Another week. Oh, someone needs a shift coverage. Uh, they have an exam coming up or they have a, a family emergency that came up. And so I would cover for them. I had a I had a big problem with telling people no. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like I I had to learn it's definitely now I can be like, okay, like I cafe Tuesday night is cafe J's. Like uh if I pick up your shift, like uh, there better be some like like cough some Dutch bros for me. Um uh, <laughs> because that's that's my that's a me night. That's a me night. I go yeah. out, I crack jokes, I vent or do whatever, like it's an open mic. Um and that's a that's a me time. And before I would have been like, oh, it's okay. Like I'll miss Cafe J's this week. It's fine. Like they had something come up. Like I need a, like let me cover for them. And I had to learn that that was not healthy. That was not healthy for me. It was not healthy for my relationship because my partner is also a stand up comedian. So if I didn't go, then he didn't really want to go. And so then he was taking we were, I was taking that personal time for us. I was letting work take over that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize it because I'm I'm so like hustle culture, like just constantly, constantly going like, oh, like it's what it's it's an extra five hours. It's an extra five hours of work, more pay, right? Like mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, it's it's not it, I had to learn it's not worth it. Yeah. Put your family first, put your pets first. Put Sometimes yourself first. Just, put yourself yeah. first. Yeah. 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 Put yourself first. Sometimes you just need to come home, read a book, cuddle up with your dogs and cats, like just let the world like let the world go and just take time for yourself. And I definitely had coworkers during that time that were there for me too. And they were the ones telling me like 
nope, you need to say no. You need to say no. Mm-hmm. And even when they saw people like asking me at work, they're like, hey, uh, are you free on Friday? Could you pick up a shift? They would they would kind of give me a look like, you better say no. <laughs> like, you better say no. Like, take yeah. time for yourself. Um, and so there's definitely mental health wise, having the people around me that I can vent to that I can be like, hey, like, this is how today at work made me feel or this happened or someone got upset about something and they were yelling and call me the B word because that has happened before and being able to like talk to people. And if people don't have someone to talk to, I highly recommend therapy. I have been Mm -hmm. in therapy. Mm -hmm. I love therapy. Um, I want to go back to therapy. Um, And I know y'all had y'all's better help commercial and I highly recommend therapy. It's, it's so weird. You, you think that you're like this rock, and like nobody can like break you kind of thing like you're you or whatever and then they ask like one question and they're like oh let's talk about this you mentioned this like one little thing an entire paragraph and they're, yeah. they're like shoot they hit they hit it right yeah. where right yeah. where the crack was you. yeah yeah they got you you know mm-hmm. it, it's funny you, you kind of brought up something that i've i've long thought like if you to me if you get down to like the nuts and bolts of that scenario of when like you always you know, picking up shifts. It's because we are always one person away from being completely screwed. That's how tightly we run our hospitals that if one person is not there, it all falls apart. And so like that shift has to be covered as opposed to, Oh, so-and-so is not here tonight, but we have enough people to pick up the slack. We don't have to have somebody come in on their day off or do whatever it is like, but that's how, that's how we run our hospitals for max profits and low margins or whatever it is. But like, we're always one person away from being completely screwed. And yep. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. to me, that is a huge, huge issue anyway. Yeah. And I, I think me, me being someone that, that constantly struggles with my work-life balance. Um, <laughs> I give a lecture on work-life balance and I'm, I'm still struggling with it. Um, but the, the, the thing that I, I wanted to point out is, is that, if, if you're big into planning and, and having your planners, I'm a big to-do list. Um, I probably have 18 different to-do lists running at one time. Uh, my main to-do list, one of the things that I, I will do, part of it is just so I have something to check off. But one of the things I put at the top of my to-do list every day is coffee. It's a simple thing. <laughs> I know I'm going to do it. But it reminds me, like, have your coffee. Sit down. Play a stupid game on your phone. That's that's my me time. Granted, it probably lasts about all of ten or fifteen minutes, but it reminds me that I need to do stuff that that is going to help me survive and help me keep my my sanity in check. Um, and for those of you that do that do to do lists like like I do, uh, put put your self care items at the top of the list so it reminds you to do them. Um, and that's that's my little soapbox on <laughs> on, on self care. Um, I like that. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you do, do you do that? Do you have like the digital to-do list or is it all the, the tangible? I had to do tangible. I tried doing like Google and yeah. making planners that way. And I just, I find that I'm a kind of person that I need the planners with the stickers and like the 20 different colored pens. And it, that's just, that's just how I am. There, there is something cathartic about like crossing a line through your, one of your to-do items as opposed to just clicking it on your phone. Um, I, I, I do, I, I've tried that didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, but 
you got to figure yeah. out, you got to figure out what works for you. That's, that's yeah. pretty much it. Uh, so you've worked in clinics uh, for a while before starting with your Penn Foster. What what made you decide to and, and then switching over to Purdue? What made you to decide that you wanted to become credentialed? Um, kind of going back to like really wishing that everybody had like a baseline. Um, definitely, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, I shouldn't have to teach somebody how to get a temp on a patient. Um, having that awkward conversation of being like, okay where's the butthole? Like, <laughs> so, um, having that baseline of education and skills, and it seems like such a, something so simple to ask of, but it's actually, it's actually not, or at least in like Texas where it's not, um, required to be certified or licensed. And most of the time in Lubbock, we get a lot of students, a lot of pre-vet students. And I, I can't argue or disagree or anything. Cause like I was there too. I was a pre-vet mm-hmm. student mm-hmm. and that's how I ended up, I ended up volunteering. I ended up getting my first job that way. And we get a lot of pre-vet students who have been going through like, okay, you learn what vaccines are. You learn about the body system. You learn about all of this stuff, but it doesn't actually stick until you're actually having to use it in clinical. Yeah. And I I feel like that that's kind of like your pathway to like, you seem like somebody that wants to always learn something and always be progressing. And I, I think starting off with just going to, to tech school, I, I think is a great start to your pathway because I'm sure in your classes, there's probably been things that, you, that have come up that you didn't understand the whys of, of why those things happen. Um, mm-hmm. And when I, when I give lectures, I always want to focus on the why, because that's, what's going to stick with people, not just memorizing things um, because that, that's going to, that's going to help you build that. Like you, like you said, build that baseline. What are your uh, like post education? Um, whenever you're done with Purdue's program, what are your kind of like career goals? Are you looking at specialization? Are you looking? Do you want to be involved in, um, you know, some of the uh, legislative stuff? Like, would you want to be on a vet tech association board or like, you know, like broad strokes, long term? Like, what what are some of your goals? I think it's all kind of up in the air because I still get, even though I'm in my program and I've been working as a technician for a while, people keep asking me like, are you going to go to vet school? And I'm like, uh, maybe <laughs> 10 years, like, you know, um, we'll come back to this question in like 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, well, I could go to vet school. I couldn't like it's, but then it's like, I could also just continue being a technician and I'm completely fine with that. I love being a technician. I love having doctors that are at the point that they trust me. Um, or I feel like I'm comfortable enough in my knowledge or skills to be able to say something like, Hey, I know this, this, or I can look at a fecal slide and I know what to look for. And I can be like, Hey, I know this is, um, and so I love being able to have that connection. And I think that goes into like how nurses are in human medicine, you know, like nobody ask a nurse, like, so when are you going to become a doctor? Like, you know, <laughs> that's <laughs> so true. I they don't it, ask them that. Yeah, they don't ask that. And, but then they ask that like when it's us. And so I have to go into explaining and like, no, like I, I want to be a technician. Like it's, um, I always have to use a reference. It's like being a nurse, you know, like, and to help people like understand like what I'm trying to imply. But I've told, I've definitely thought about that where if I want to become like go into like a specialty or if I want to be on the board um I actually want to go into education at some point I really love having the opportunity to teach other people um I love whenever we do find like 
like an egg on a fecal and being like, hey, have you seen a, a have you have you seen yeah, an egg yeah. on a fecal before? And like bringing people over and having them look and be like, look, that's what you look yeah. for the next time. And so I like being able to do that with people or just being like, have you ever done this before? Have you and just opening the door for them? Because I do feel like in the beginning and 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 it's probably because of the whole being on the the job trained. But in the beginning, it's so hard for people to feel comfortable to be able to be like, well, how do you do that? Or like, why do you do that? I know when I was in emergency medicine, I would ask a lot of like random questions and they'd be like, I don't know. I just know how to make the machine work. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> Well, and you have to keep asking those questions. That's, I mean, that's how you, that's how you advance. That's how you, in, in, even if the, the person you're asking doesn't know the answer, it's going to make them say, well, why don't I have an answer to that? And I should have an answer to that. I, I mean, at least that's how I feel. If, if somebody asks a question, I don't know the answer to, I'm like, damn it, I'm going to have to go look that up and figure that out now because I can't not know something. Right, right. <laughs> I feel like it would definitely challenge a lot of technicians because I have worked under technicians that have been in the field for a while at least 10 plus years and they that was actually one of the, the those technicians that they had told me like oh well i don't know i know how to make the machine work and what it yeah. does and what it uh, kind of what to look for but i don't know what yeah. that is specifically and um another technician that had like 10 plus years it was interesting for them to come into our new hospital and then like they didn't know what like uh um, like a certain surgery was and or what like certain words meant and that was just because at their last animal hospital they didn't use um like proper wording for the those right surgeries terminology, yeah. terminology, yeah. Yeah. terminology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. for sure that's the word <laughs> yeah 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 that it's it's so true i mean you i used to tell my students all the time you gotta start talking like a nerd like otherwise <laughs> like you, you, yeah, otherwise you're not gonna remember it you're not gonna learn it or understand it you you got to start talking like a nerd. You, you know, you don't say we're taking <laughs> there's this your dog's, t-shirt. Yeah. We're, 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 not, we're not taking this dog's gallbladder out. We're doing a cholecystectomy. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you yeah. just, you just got to talk like a nerd. Yep. I um, like using, um, epistaxis. Is that how you pronounce it? Because uh-huh. nobody uses it in my clinic. So I've only <laughs> seen it on a book and I love using it for my notes and everything. And then people are like, what is that? And I'm like, it's a nosebleed. And they're like, why didn't you just put nosebleed? I'm like, because it sounds cooler this way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> absolutely. That's right. You, I mean, you, you, you've probably gone through medical terminology. You got to use those terms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we talked a little bit about red flags earlier. Are you aware of all the challenges that are that are mounting against veterinary technicians? And is that talked about in your in your curriculum? In the curriculum, hmm. Like, do you have a class where they talk about like mental health and 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 challenges of of difficult patients, difficult owners? Do you, do you get any of that info? Difficult owners. Um, so we go over a chap- chapter about um, denial and the different stages of mm-hmm. denial okay, yeah, um, and yeah. how to handle that, how people might react in different situations. Uh, we had to write. So like it was like we had to read the article and then we did like a little questionnaire at the bottom. And so I talked about my experience of working with different clients and how, you know, their dog is dying and how I've had different people react to different situations. I had one situation where there was like good cop, bad cop. Um, and it was, it was really weird. Cause I, I literally was like, I, I don't know, like what, <laughs> what, how to handle this at this point. Like I have one person cussing at me and one person telling me like, but we appreciate you. We thank you for everything that you do. And it's like, what in the world? <laughs> that is, that is a, 
That is a that is not an uncommon scenario. Guys, <laughs> oh um, so we went over a chapter like that when we were talking talking about denial, but I I don't think we've gone over yet on like mental health. But I definitely think it's important to teach, especially because yeah. we're all going to go through it, <laughs> and especially in this field. I know at the uh, veterinary uh, school that they just opened in Amarillo, they actually have like a business course, which is interesting. Mm. Like we're ha- there's like the business course or they're implementing um, like teaching Spanish and uh, being able to speak Spanish and veterinary science. But I don't think there's anything, at least from the students that I've heard yet about like teaching about mental health. Yeah. Yeah. It, it so, might not be. Yeah, it might still be kind of just up to some of the the individual motivation of the instructors. Like if there's a yeah. particular class or lecture that kind of fits on that, you know, I've, I've heard sometimes instructors will be like, we're going to take this in a little bit different direction and we're going to, you know, have some real talk here for a little bit kind of thing. So maybe still coming um, along the, the curriculum conversation though how how do you find vet tech curriculum overall like do you feel like it's preparing you for a career in this field do you feel like you're getting what you need to know or are there things and 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 we we know you're going through purdue now i'm not looking for you to like call out things purdue is doing right or doing wrong i just mean like in general is there things that you wish were different or you know since you're kind of in the throes of it right now where do you see it all I love that I'm learning. Um, so it's anatomy, right? But in my pre-vet class, we just had to learn what the scapula was. So we didn't have to know the spine of the scapula, anything like that. So with the vet tech program, we we have broken everything down to little sections of like every little bone. And it's it's definitely more heavy content than even my pre-vet program had in it. So I I prefer it. I, I definitely do like my veterinary technician program more. I've definitely recommended it to a lot of te- uh, on-the-job trained veterinary assistants that I work with. And because there is a couple of people right now that they're going for pre-vet and they're kind of in the same steps, right? They're like, I don't know if I want to go to vet school. I yeah. kind of like what I'm doing right now. And then they hear that I'm doing a program. And so then I get to show them everything that I'm learning. And I know one girl, she actually was, I think she got her microbiology degree um, at Texas A&M. And then she moved to uh, Lubbock. But it was interesting to sit down with her and have her see what I was learning because that was more like what she would had had to learn for her program. It was way more in depth um, and it was way more information. And so I was like, oh, wow, like you learned about all this. And then, of course, she did because they had to take way more intensive classes than what I took for my pre-vet um, undergraduate. Gotcha. And how... How, what about the distance learning component of that? Like how how is that working for you? Like I I know me um, I know I I would be terrible with distance learning, um, <laughs> and I've I've long said like I'm all for like whatever means at this point in time we can get people to go through veterinary technician programs, but I I struggle with the idea of going to online veterinary technician school because of all the hands-on stuff you need to do. Um, I've never really looked into it, but like truly does online nursing school exist? I, I don't know. 
Did in 2020. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had to to adjust and do it at some point. So maybe there is a a mode of that now. But like, how is distance learning in, in these things working for you? I think because of 2020 with COVID and everything, um, that's where it made it easy because we were all forced to do online classes. So when by the time I'm doing my online program, it, it's pretty like it's pretty easy. It's broken down. Um, I will admit that the skills aspect of it is lacking. Um, and that's, of course, they have you they have you do like an internship at a local yeah. A veterinary hospital and they sign off for things and then send it off um, or you record yourself doing it. But there's one girl in the current hospital I work at that she got the opportunity to be in a veterinary technician program when there was one in Lubbock and that closed down years ago. But she talked about how they had to do like blood smears and all these things like hands on. And I watched a YouTube video on it. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah. like I, I, I try my best. Sure. Blood smears sure. are still <laughs> oh, yeah. not. I mean, even for some people that have been doing them for a long time, they're, they're still like hit or miss. I mean, so yeah, for sure. It's definitely a learned skill, but I, yeah, I, 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 I like to your point, I, there's some of that, that I just, I would say is, is hard to replace or, or hard to mm-hmm. replicate any other way. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm a dinosaur again and need to be retired. <laughs> but but I, I, I that's that kind of stuff I struggle with. Well, and it's hard to like it, the the thing with with learning things like IV catheters that way. It, it's it's great to show you how to, the procedure to to show you how to do it the right way, but it doesn't do a whole lot to help you troubleshoot because not every catheter is going to go perfectly. Not everything mm-hmm. is going to look just like mm-hmm. the video. You're going to have times where you get it in, you get a flash. And then suddenly nothing. You have right. to be able to troubleshoot mm-hmm. it. And and that's the hands-on part of it. Watching a video is great to show you how in an ideal situation it's going to work. But to troubleshoot, you need somebody there to to walk you through how to how to fix whatever went wrong. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and they're definitely in a world with a perfect patient that's trained of to course. just be like, yeah. of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's like a it's like a German shorthaired pointer with like veins that pop right out of the skin <laughs> yeah. like, a, like a greyhound that that it, it's very obvious to see all the veins they don't give you like the the, the fluffy corgis or the or basset hounds that nobody, mm-hmm. nobody trains you how to place a catheter on a basset hound come on right right <laughs> uh well we're getting towards our end here we're, mm-hmm. we're almost at our hour um is there anything that we didn't discuss today that you want to get out to our caffeinators uh no, I, I think I, I think I dumped everything. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Is there a is there a person or a top a person you would want to see like in your chair in a future episode of the Vet Tech Cafe or a topic you think that we should talk about? I would really like y'all to interview Walter Brown. He also goes by Skinny Go Live. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just the comedian in me coming out. Like I definitely would watch his videos and that kind of encouraged me when I write my jokes to go do stand-up comedy. Um, And I know there's other like stand-up comedians that are also been their technicians. And I would, I would just love to see them on here, get the personalities out there. Absolutely. You know, to be honest, I I think that's uh, Part, part of, frankly, what's lacking in our profession is personality. Like yeah. we're, we're a huge group of introverts 
who I mean, Dave, I don't think we would no, still be doing bigger this than if, you and I. Right. I, well, I don't. That's what I was just going to say. I don't think we would do this if if we recorded episode every episode live, actually in person. Like, I don't think we would we would have stopped after three episodes. Like, you know, but this this is like just enough that we can actually pull this off. But like, yeah. so many people in our our field are are that way, and we. Like frankly, we need more personality. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love Walter's it. been Walter's been on a uh, on our radar for yeah for gosh, a while. almost a year now. We just haven't yeah. gotten around to like. Con- yeah. I, I met him at Ivex um, last year, the year before. Um, had a great conversation with him, but it it just it never materialized. Yeah. Um, but maybe this is our push to say, okay, yeah, let's go get him. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. Well, if you get him, you should tell him we need to put a show together, a comedy showcase just for veterinary technicians. All right, all right, we <laughs> will we'll, do we'll that. We'll send him down to Texas to do a, to do a, yeah, a open yeah, mic night. Yeah, he's not far <laughs> nice. away. He's over just in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so now we are down to your "Would you rather" question. Are you ready for it? Ooh, let's go. Okay, so I haven't even pick... read these yet. Oh, you haven't looked yet. All right, <laughs> so you have to pick one, two, or three, and I'll I'll give you the the question that corresponds oh. with what you pick. Um, let's go with two. Let's go with two. All right. Would you rather have a constantly runny nose or you're unable to tell right from left? Oh, I I already (laughs) can't tell right from left. So there you go. (laughs) Every time we take x-rays, I'm there like, okay, this is my right, this is my left, that's the dog. So that that for sure. I don't want a runny nose, okay? No one needs to see my, my bats in the caves. Leave that there. <laughs> uh, that's great. I love it. Yeah, I would yeah. probably do the same thing because I yeah. hate I when I was in New England, I had far more runny noses and allergy issues and I absolutely hate it. And now once since I moved down here to North Carolina where we have like pollen season, I, I don't get allergies. I have no problems oh. with the pollen season. Yeah. That's like awesome. Every now, like every now and then I'll I'll get a runny nose, but like not like I used to get uh. in New England. New England I my, my nose is running constantly. Man. I don't know what it is about the South that has changed that. Okay. It was the, it's the exact opposite for me. Here, I am the geeky allergy kid. Um, <laughs> when I was in elementary school, I carried a Kleenex box in my backpack. If the pollen <laughs> level was too high, I couldn't run because I was wheezing too bad. Like, But oh, for no. four years I lived in New England, never had mm-hmm. a runny nose. And Crazy. I came back, and it's been a faucet ever since. But, you know, yeah. It's, so. it's probably like the, the regional um, – allergens like you're yeah, allergic to yeah. the to the allergens that you grew up in but the when you move to a different land yeah, the land yeah. of new england mm-hmm. it didn't affect yeah you. they didn't have they didn't have them there and yeah yeah hmm. so well ralia thank you so much for taking some time out to chat with us today for reaching out to us in the first yeah. place um we really love having the student perspective because frankly you guys are the future of the profession you really are um i think it's well established we have a a shelf life in this field for most people. And it's, it's really good to hear like people are starting to kind of enter the field with that kind of mindset and, and taking strides to hopefully prevent that five to seven year. I got to get out of here kind of, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So uh, thank you very much for the time. We really appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, caffeinators, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Bye guys. Bye. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. 
The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.